Uh, I, I want to ask if anyone has the same frustration I have. A frustration of facing temptation. Anybody have that frustration besides me? Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. For example, you know, uh, you're trying to eat healthy and lose weight. Then the next thing you know, your coworkers are bringing a box of donuts for breakfast and a loaf of pumpkin bread or no-bake cookies and tells everyone in the office to enjoy. And then you're faced with the decision, do I say no to the diet, all right, and bust that, or do I say no to desserts and offend my coworkers, Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Or, or maybe if that's not you, maybe it's like this. Maybe you're like me. You like to watch those home remodeling shows on TV, and you begin to watch all those. And, and as you, after you watch what happened and how beautiful those homes look when they get done, you get discontent with what you have, and you want a bigger and a better home. You, you begin to even, and sometimes, get sometimes even resentful with your own life, saying something like, you know, if I, if I just made more money or if I did something different with my life, then maybe I could have a home like that. Anybody ever been there, done that? Okay, good. I'm glad it wasn't just me, all right? Of course, there are many other temptations we face as well, whether it's that pop-up on your computer screen or the ad on your social media that is seeking to get you to explore something that you know is not healthy for your life, but in that moment, there is something in you that wants to explore. You've been there, right? Now, if not, if you say this morning, no, I, I've never been there. This is what I know. You just gave in to the temptation to lie, all right, because every one of us have been in that place where we have faced temptation, and we've, we've been faced with wanting even to, to give in. Now, because everyone here this morning, again, faces that temptation one kind or another, I know this message is going to be for you, because as we turn into Luke chapter 4, we're going to find a time in the life of Jesus that will be very relevant to our lives. It will first give us a 2020 vision of Jesus. In other words, it will remind us or teach us about the truth of who Jesus was and is. And then at the same time, it will give us guidance as we seek to live our lives. Now, let's first read the text, and then we're going to make some observations. Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you will then worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, in Luke 3, if we had read that, we, you see Luke really began to tell the beginning of Jesus' adult life by telling about his interaction with John the Baptist. Luke doesn't give much detail here about John and Jesus' interaction, only that Jesus was baptized, and then after that, a voice from heaven declared that Jesus was the beloved Son of God and that the Father was well-pleased. 
Surely in that moment, it would have been a highlight moment for Jesus to be affirmed from heaven of who he was. But what we see right after that is immediately there's a quick genealogy listed about Jesus. And then we see Jesus face one of the most difficult moments of his life, what we call his temptation in the wilderness. And as we look at his temptation, we're going to see that Jesus' temptation reveals the truth of Jesus. Because let's not forget that Luke's ultimate purpose in writing his gospel is so that we can be certain about who Jesus was. He clearly wants us to know that we can trust in Jesus and that he is worthy of our faith. Therefore, no matter what part of the gospel we are looking at, the first question is, what does it tell us about Jesus? And so as we begin today, the answer to that question is what we need to see. What are the truths we see here about Jesus? Now, notice this passage starts with this. Look back at verses 1 and 2 again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. It's important to note this, that as Jesus faces the temptation here in Luke 4, that this is not a haphazard event in his life. It's not as if Jesus one day said, you know, I think I'll go out in the wilderness and I'm gonna take a hike out in the wilderness. Maybe I'll find some rocks to climb out in the wilderness and I'll go exploring. And then in the midst of exploring that somehow in that he just happens to meet Satan. No, even this episode is in the hands of God. Did you notice? He was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And since this is not haphazard, we have to ask the purpose. Well, then what was Jesus' temptation for? What truth is revealed? And the first truth that is revealed is this, is that Jesus has defeated Satan. You see, in this passage, we're going to, what we might see or consider a face-to-face combat going on. Jesus and Satan face each other head on, and those are watching are left to wonder, well, who's going to win this epic battle of the Titans? We have Jesus in one corner and Satan in the other. Now they're head to head. Who is going to win? In the end, what is very clear is that Jesus wins the victory and Satan is defeated. You see, there's no doubt one thing we are to see in this is Jesus' power over Satan. For we often fear the devil. We often feel powerless over Satan's work in our lives, but we shouldn't because Jesus defeated him. In fact, listen to what we are told in 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Look at this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Think about that. What did it just say? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Here in chapter 4, we see the beginning of Jesus destroying the works of the devil. Jesus taking him head on and winning begins to show us that Jesus does have the power to overcome the works of the devil. In case you're wondering what is so big about Jesus defeating Satan, let's remember this. The first man, Adam, didn't win. Right? He gave in to temptation, and because of that, sin entered the world, and we all became infected by that sin. We all suffer as a result. Because of Adam's failure in the garden, we all have a tendency to sin, but Jesus came, hear me, to undo all that. Therefore, in facing and defeating Satan, Jesus made salvation possible for us. I mean, the the apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 5 when he said this, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made what? Righteous. You see, many people live defeated lives often because they feel powerless. They believe that they cannot help but sin. However, Jesus shows us otherwise. Even more than that, Jesus came to be the very source through which we might become righteous. In fact, listen to how Jesus' work is described in Colossians 2. 
It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, what we see here in the wilderness is Jesus in this face-to-face battle with Satan wins. We can look at these events about Jesus and shout, Jesus is victorious, right? That really should make even a Baptist shout, to be honest with you. But let's not forget the ultimate win, though, came through the cross, When Jesus went to the cross, dying in our place, fulfilling the demands of the law, Satan was utterly defeated. And why? Because now for those who have faith in Jesus, when Satan comes to accuse, believers can look back at Satan and say, I have been forgiven through Jesus and you have no power over me. You see, this really points us to the second truth we see about Jesus, which is that Jesus was without sin. There's no doubt that one of the reasons that Luke records this event in detail is to remind us that Jesus being in flesh did face temptation and he did not sin. I'm not going to spend much time on this because I touched on this point last week. But let's remember the fact that Jesus did not sin, allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. When Jesus went to the cross, his sinless state allowed him to be our substitute. He paid the price for your sin. He paid the price for my sin. But now there is something else we need to see here in regards to him facing temptation and being sinless as we are reminded in Hebrews 4. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, it is reiterated here that Jesus was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And because of what he faced, he understands what we face, and therefore we can go to him to help us in our need. He understands what we are facing, and he is the one who can help us. Therefore, let's change focus this morning and get real practical because as we continue to look at the episode in Jesus' life, we will find help that will give us the tools in fighting the temptation when it comes our way. Because when we look at Jesus' temptation, it reveals the tactics of Satan. You know, a a huge part of fighting Satan is understanding how he works. Now, being in Kentucky, many of us understand basketball among other sports, do we not? All right, and so we understand by understanding sports, we understand the importance of a scouting report. Okay, a scouting report looks at the opponent you are getting ready to face. So you know the team's tendencies, you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, their typical strategy, so that you know how to approach them. A team, in a sense, adjusts their approach to attack the opponent's weaknesses. Likewise, if you can understand Satan's tactics, then you'll be able to understand how to face him when he attacks you. And interesting enough, his first tactic is this. He attacks you where you are vulnerable. Think about it. He attacks where you are vulnerable. That that makes sense, does it not? I mean, that is what I just said. A team does when they're facing an opponent. They understand the other team, so they know how to attack their weaknesses. Satan does that with us. When we read here in Luke 4 that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, the word tempted indicates a continuous tempting. 
In fact, we should look at what happened here and know that Jesus was continually tempted over 40 days in the wilderness, all right? It wasn't just three things he faced. Continually for 40 days, he was being tempted in the wilderness. However, Luke records for us three of the specific temptations because they give us a glimpse into where Satan likes to hit the hardest. Did you notice the first temptation? Look at what it said. And he, that Jesus, ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. In other words, the first temptation involved Jesus' physical weakness. For 40 days, he hadn't eaten. The scripture says he was hungry. And so Satan said, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, I believe it's safe to say this, that both Satan and Jesus knew that Jesus was the son of God. Okay? So I'm not sure that Satan was trying to get Jesus to prove himself. The issue was that Satan was trying to get Jesus to use his power and his position for his own good. Turning a stone into bread for food was not necessarily a bad thing, but what would have been wrong was Jesus using his power primarily for his own good rather than for the purposes of God the Father. Because in fact, remember this, later Jesus is going to multiply bread and fishes, right, to make food, all right? And why does he do that? wasn't for his own sake, but it was for a feeding of the multitudes, all right? You understand that? And so Satan here is trying to get him off track. The second temptation was Satan offering power and possessions. Satan took Jesus up to a high vantage point where he could see a far distance saying, I will give you all this if you will just worship me. Now, we might wonder whether Satan really could deliver on that promise, but I'm here to tell you that's not the real issue. The real issue is, was their belief that he could deliver? In our lives, hear me, it doesn't matter so much whether Satan can deliver on his promises, but if we believe he can, because if we believe he can, we will be tempted to act inappropriately, right? When it came to Jesus in this moment, remember, he came in flesh, and he had to give up heaven, so now, no doubt this would have been tempting. Surely Jesus, in a way, missed being in heaven because in heaven, he had authority over everything. He had power over everything. And so maybe being in flesh, he had a moment and said, man, I, I sure would like to rule again. I sure would like to be in power again. I've given that up to come in the flesh. I would love to do this, all right? But remember this, okay? One day the scripture says this, that the Jesus at one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord, Right? Well, so what that tells us is Satan was really tempting Jesus with something that was already promised to him, but he just wanted Jesus to take a shortcut, to not follow God's plan, which ultimately meant this, not follow his plan of going to the cross and dying for the sin of mankind and saving the world. Third, Satan tempted Jesus with pride. He took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off because if you're that important, if you're important enough, then God will send his angels to save you. Now, when we look at all these three areas of temptation specifically, Luke recorded them, I believe, because in reality, all of our temptations fall into one of these categories. When we have a physical weakness in our lives, we are more, more vulnerable. Whether that is a sickness where, where Satan says, if God loves you, he will heal you. And if he doesn't come, Satan says, well, God must not love you. Or whether it is an area of power and possession, Satan often tries to tell you, you deserve that stuff. And so no matter what it takes to get it, it's okay. Or he looks to convince you that you are so important that everything should revolve around you and that God will surely do what you want. We are weak in all these areas. Satan knows it, and he will attack these areas of our life. Now, with that, you need to know his greatest tools is lies. Remember what Jesus said in John 8 to those who were seeking to kill him? He said this, you are of your father, the devil, 
and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, those seeking to kill Jesus believed what they were doing was right because they had believed Satan's lies. And even when we look at what we have recorded in Satan's conversation with Jesus, he was seeking to be deceptive. Even starting with the statement, if you are the son of God, was a way for him to try to put doubt in Jesus' head as if he could do it. It didn't work on Jesus, but it works on us all the time, does it not? When he quotes the scripture about God's protection, he is seeking to deceive, saying God will protect even through a wrong action. Now, I don't know that, 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 that we have every word said between Jesus and Satan, but here's what I know. If Satan was having these conversations with us, he would probably have said something like this. Well, you know that you need that bread to satisfy you, right? You're not going to be happy if you don't eat that bread. You'll not be satisfied without that bread. He may have looked and said, well, you deserve that position of power. In fact, everyone else who's trying to get that position is wrong, but you are right. You are the only one who truly understands everything needed for that position. Oh, that car you want, it truly is the thing that's going to get everyone to know how successful you are. Or that house, oh yeah, it may be a little bit out of your budget, but it'll be okay. You'll find a way to pay for it, and things will get better if you just have that bigger house. You see, he seeks to lie and deceive us in many ways, oftentimes that seem very innocent. Because in many ways, these things that tempt us are not necessarily wrong in their own right, but they can become wrong when it's not pursued within God's will. And so Satan lies to us to really persuade us to leave God's perfect will and even misuse things that he has blessed us with. You need to know that Satan not only uses lies, though, but you also need to know this, that he will be persistent. Satan will not give up if his first attempt doesn't work in your life. And I'm not saying he'll quit after three tries either. In fact, did you notice the last verse we read here in chapter 4? Look at it again, verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In fact, this is what I want you to see. Don't read through the gospel of Luke and get to the end of chapter 4 and say, Jesus passed the temptation test. No, Jesus will continue to pass the test for in reality, this temptation in chapter four is just the beginning of a battle that we will see throughout the gospel. And even think about this, some of Satan's temptations will come from the least expected places. Luke doesn't record it, but both Matthew and Mark record it in exchange with Jesus and Peter. Jesus tells his disciples how he must suffer, how he must die, and then how he must be resurrected, that that was God's plan for salvation. In Mark 16, 22, we are told that Peter takes Jesus aside. And what the scriptures say is he begins to rebuke Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and he says, this will never happen to you. No, no, no this is not going to happen. No way will you ever suffer like that. God, no, no way will you ever die. No doubt Peter had some good intentions. I mean, he didn't want anything to happen to his teacher. He probably even thought with what he'd seen Jesus do, Jesus was power enough to keep anyone from killing him. And so Peter is basically saying, Jesus, stop talking like that. It's not going to be. You're too strong for that to happen. You are too important to be killed. But what was Jesus's words to Peter? They remind you what Jesus says to Peter. He looks back at Peter and says in Matthew 16, 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So you wouldn't think that temptation would come from one of Jesus' friends, but it did. 
In this moment, Peter's mind was not set on what God wanted, but what seemed right from a human perspective. And you can be sure that in some way, Satan was working to sidetrack Jesus, even through his disciples. This even reminds us that when we are tempted, what we are really being tempted to do is to leave God's plans for our lives to pursue our own plan. We can even be tempted through the well-intentioned words from friends. And we need to remember what we are being tempted to leave because God's plan is always the best. So we should seek God's plan above all and not get distracted when Satan tries to lie and tell us there is something better because that is simply not the case. Therefore, as we look at Jesus' temptation, we can see Satan's tactics, but Jesus' temptation also reveals the path to victory. All right. Now, ultimately, isn't this what we all want to know? Right? Uh, we all say, well, Brother Scott, you didn't tell me anything. I already knew we were tempted. All right? I, I, I want to know how, what's the path to victory? How, how do I get to, how do I overcome temptation in my life? And honestly, honestly, when I started the week, I felt like this would be where the bulk of my sermon would concentrate this morning. But as the week went on, I realized that when it comes to having victory over temptation, the first thing that I'm going to say here is really the most important. You ready? You need to be strong in the Lord. Again, here's what I felt. I would be able to come this morning, and I was going to give you three steps to victory over temptation this morning. I felt like this passage, in a way, gives us that direction. In a way, I am going to give you three steps, all right? However, the more I studied this passage this week, the more I realized something. This passage isn't about how I overcome temptation. It isn't about how you overcome temptation. This passage is really about the first point I made this morning. It is about how Jesus defeated Satan. Therefore, if you want to have victory over temptation, you need to be strong in the Lord. Listen to what Ephesians 6 says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, this morning, if you think overcoming temptation is about your strength, then you are wrong. It is really about God's strength. It is about being strong in the strength of his might. It is every day saying, Lord, I need you in my life. Lord, I need your armor today to protect me because I'm not going to be able to stand on my own. In fact, in 1 John 4, we see John even talking about overcoming false spirits and the Antichrist. And he says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That, that, again, should have made Baptist shouts. I love that verse because it reminds those who are, are Christians that if you are in Christ, you have really already overcome. You are fighting from a position of victory. You are fighting from a position of strength. Why? Because Jesus is greater than Satan. You're not, all right, but Jesus is. In fact, let me say this. If you try to fight Satan on your own strength, you will lose every time. But if you let Jesus fight for you, you are fighting from a position of victory. In fact, let me remind you of this greatest promise or this great promise and let it encourage you and let it challenge you today from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Does that give you encouragement? Listen, God will not let you be tempted in a way that you will not have an escape. If you ever say in regards to giving in temptation that you couldn't help it, 
then what you did was you listened to one of Satan's lies. Because according to God's word, there is always a way out of temptation. That should give us encouragement today, should it not? This even reminds me that as you are strong in the Lord, you fight Satan's lies with God's truth. You know, Jesus, in these three specific temptations we saw, answered Satan each time by quoting scriptures. Why? Because he was seeking to confront Satan in his deception, reminding him of the truth of God. He first reminded Satan of the truth that it is not the things of this world that will satisfy. What Satan tries to get us to focus on is this world only. God's word reminds us that our focus should be on eternity. The world is passing away. Eternity is forever. Jesus then reminded Satan that only God is worthy of worship. Because let's face it, many of our temptations are really this. It's about worshiping something in place of God. Often possessions and power. Don't forget, Satan promised Jesus all the world if he would just bow down and worship him. How tragic that would have been. In fact, the next time you are tempted to let the pursuit of stuff dictate your life, ask yourself this question. Well, I have to stop worshiping God to fully get this thing. If so, my encouragement would to you is stop pursuing that thing. Next, Jesus reminded Satan that you are not to put God to the test. You need to be very careful about doing something and simply say, simply hoping God will come through. You should look to God for direction and then follow him, not test him. Remember, sometimes God's will does not make sense. For Jesus, it wouldn't make sense to many in the moment that he would be crucified, but Jesus had to die for our sins. It was his suffering that brought salvation for the world. And what I want to encourage everyone to do is to live your life based on God's truth, which is most clearly revealed in his word. And if you will, you can fight Satan's lies. Think about this. When you look into God's word, we are basically encouraged to pursue long-term gain, even if it means short-term pain. While Satan is always encouraging us to pursue short-term gain and ignore long-term pain. God wants us to live with eternity in mind. Satan wants us to ignore eternity. Every affair that has ever happened was Satan leading somebody to pursue what they thought in the moment was short-term gain. Oh, this relationship's going to make me feel good. This moment's going to be satisfying to my life. And so in the moment, they pursued the momentary gain. But in the end, what did they ignore? The long-term pain, the broken family, the guilt, sometimes financial hardship. Every lie that a person has ever spoken was Satan leading someone to short-term gain. Looking good in that moment, maybe being spared embarrassment in the moment. But what did it lead to? Long-term pain. Mistrust by those who know you when they found out the truth. The scandal when the truth is revealed. On and on we can go. Therefore, folks, we are best to live by God's truth knowing in the long run it will always be best, even if in the short time it costs me a little pain. Which leads me to the last point this morning. Resist the devil and he will flee. Listen to what it says in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, when, when I read submit to God in this verse, I think about what we have just shared. Being strong in the Lord and living by God's truth. When you look to the Lord and live by his truth, Satan will try to attack. But you can be assured if you choose to stick with God and his truth, that is resisting the devil. And the devil will flee from you, for he has no power. I hope you notice that when Jesus was tempted after he spoke the truth, the devil may have tried other lies, but he had no power. You need to be reminded today that Satan has no power over believer that you do not give him. 
If you believe his lies, you can be sure he will reap havoc on your life. But if you choose to rely on God's strength and God's truth and choose to resist the devil by walking God's truth, Satan has no victory over your life. He will flee. And let's remember why. Because Jesus defeated Satan. Not just in this wilderness experience, but by living a completely sinless life, then offering that life up as a sacrifice for sin so that Satan no longer has any claim on your life should you place your faith in Jesus. In fact, let's get real honest for a moment, can we? We all at some point here this morning have given in to temptation. Have we not? I mean, yeah, let's be honest. There's not a one of us here this morning that hasn't at some point in time, we listened to Satan's lies, we followed it, and we pursued him rather than God. We, we gave in. We left God's perfect design for our lives, and we chose to do our own thing, to follow Satan's lies, and we suffered for it. But thankfully, folks, God has given us a way to be forgiven. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The one who we saw earlier disarmed Satan through the cross. So I simply want to ask you today, have you given your life to Jesus? If you haven't, folks, that is where your victory starts. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're trying to fight Satan on your own, and that is a losing battle. But today, when you give your life to Jesus, not only do you find forgiveness of your sin, and not only do you have eternal life, but here's what you gain. You gain the power of Jesus living in you because the Holy Spirit comes to live in the life of a believer. And folks, I'm here to tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Yeah, one of these days, we're going to teach Baptists to shout on things like that. Okay? Because when I think, yeah, that's right, we clap. When greater is he that's in me, that's he's in the world. That gives us great encouragement because I know I can't do it on my own. But when Jesus lives in me, I have victory over sin. Okay, thank you. All right. And so here today, let me say this to you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you're fighting a losing battle. But today, God's inviting you over to his team because he loved you so much, even though he knew your sin, even though he knew all the stuff that you've done. And the Bible says that even though he knew all that, Jesus still died for you, for you. Yes, hey, that was great timing. Yes, amen, yes. See, we'll train them young. We'll train them young, right? Yes, okay. And so today, if you've never given your life to him, would you do that? Today is the day. Be like this young couple that came this morning and said, we're ready to give our life to Jesus. They're ready to come to the winning team. Today is your day to give your life to Jesus Christ. But let me say this to the believers here today. Let me ask you today. Are you standing strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Because let me say, if we're not standing strong in the Lord, we even as believers can succumb to the ways of the devil. Even as believers, we can listen to his lies. If we're not learning his truths, and living in his truth, then we're listening to Satan and his lies. And those things can get us off track. But here today as a believer, if we will stand strong in the Lord and we will stand on his word, if we'll put on the whole armor of God that lists there in Ephesians 6, if we'll put that on every day, the good news for you is this, that Satan cannot have victory in your life ever if you will let Jesus reign in your life. Even when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, you can look up and see Jesus there who put an end to all 
your sin. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow into your presence today. Thanking you, Lord, for your goodness. Thanking you, Lord, even from your word that reminds us and shows us and proves to us that Satan has been defeated by Jesus. And God, today, I thank you not only has he been defeated, but Father, you have given us the promise that he can be defeated in our life as well if we lean upon you and trust in you and we stand strong in your might. So Father, today I pray that we all would look to Jesus and the strength that he brings and not rely upon ourselves. Father, there may be some here this morning that have never given their life to Jesus and I would pray in this moment, Father, show them their need for you. And I would pray in this moment they would choose to step into victory, to place their faith in Jesus, the one who died for them, so that sin might be overcome in their life for eternity. And Father, even now they might gain the strength to live for you today. And then for we who know you, Lord, who already know that victory in Jesus in our lives, God, may today be the day that we also rely upon you. Even if it means today some need to come and kneel at this, crawl, at this altar, Father, and just, just ask you to come and to strengthen them because they're facing a difficult time. Lord, may they come and just rest on you because you invite us, as it said there in Hebrews, to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need because Jesus has overcome sin. He's been tempted in every way. He understands we can come to you and know that you are ready, Father, to give us the strength that we need. And so may believers come and may they find the strength to face the temptation that's before them today. Father, this invitation is yours and I'm not sure what you're doing in hearts and lives today. I simply pray that as you're speaking, folks are listening and they'll respond. Because, Father, what we know is your way is always the right way. Your way is always best. And so today, during this invitation, may we say, I'm choosing the way of the Lord. Pour down your blessings in this moment now, I pray. As I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.